0: I want you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1 this morning. As you go there, let me give you a word, let me give you a word. What do you think of the word suffer? Suffer. It's not a word that we like having in our vocabulary, is it? Suffering is something that most of us do our best to avoid. I may be chief among you at at trying to avoid suffering. I like to to escape pain in any way I can. How about you? We want our lives to be free of pain and trouble, at least as much as possible. I think Warren Wiersbe has most of us figured out when he says, for some reason, many new believers have the idea that trusting Christ means the end of their battles in reality it means the beginning of new battles and he is right of course in fact jesus warned his followers to expect trouble john 16:33 i have said these things to you that in me you may have peace in the world you will have tribulation but take heart, I have overcome the world. Praise God. Paul also reminds believers in 2 Timothy 3.12 to expect persecution. If you are a follower of Christ, expect persecution for your faith in Christ. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Indeed, And we know this to be true. Many believers throughout the history of the church have faced persecution and still face persecution today. Gordon MacDonald wrote this about believers in Russia in the 1920s. In the 1920s, he writes, on the heels of the Bolshevik Revolution, when Joseph Stalin was extending his chokehold over all of what would become the Soviet Union, he sent political speakers out to Russian towns and villages to brainwash the people about Marxism and the Russian form of communism. Peasants were forced to hear the harangues telling them what they must believe. It was made clear that the teaching of Christian faith was to come to an immediate end. The church was no longer to be active. What none of them realized was that hundreds of years of Russian Orthodox teaching about the resurrection couldn't be rubbed out of people's souls just like that. One large crowd, he writes, of people sitting in a public auditorium listened for three hours to the speech of a Russian commissar as he tried to convert them to Marxism and the glories of the Communist Party. When he finished, He was exhausted, but he had taken his best shot. He was sure he had convinced the crowd, so he invited questions. Here and there, people rose to ask questions, but he was satisfied he had done his best. Just as things were about to end, and he was to sign his success seal over what he had done, a Russian Orthodox priest stood up at the back of the hall and said, I just have one thing to say to you, Christ is risen. Instantly, the entire crowd responded, Christ is risen indeed. He's writing this and he says, This is the third time that I've, he's preaching this, and he says, this is the third time that I've told that story this morning. At the end of the second worship hour, a couple came up and introduced themselves. The woman said to me in a heavy accent, I am from Russia. Thank you for telling your story. It moved me greatly. But I must tell you one more thing about that story, which you did not tell. You need to tell people that when the crowd said, Christ is risen indeed, they knew for certain they would all go to jail. What would you do if you were told you couldn't preach your faith, you couldn't witness your faith in Christ, what would you do? What would I do? Believers in any age need to be prepared to suffer for the cause of Christ. Now, I think it's safe to say that none of us have had to face the severe kinds of suffering for the sake of Christ that many throughout history have faced or even in other parts of the world face today. Many of us do not know what it is to suffer like that. Yet we don't have to look too far in the United States to recognize a growing distaste, a growing dislike, a growing hostility toward faith in Jesus Christ, toward Christianity. And it is very possible that we could face increasing opposition to the cause of Christ in the days to come. So the question is, are Christians in this culture prepared to suffer for their faith in Christ and do so with the joy of the Lord. To be able to say with those Russian believers, Christ is risen indeed, full knowing the persecution that will come. For the sake of our joy in the Lord, we need to be ready to suffer for Christ. So let's look together at Philippians 1. I want you to go with me to verses 28 through 30, where we're going to gain some insight about being prepared to suffer for the... Uh, for the sake of Christ, for the cause of Christ, because, because of our faith in Christ. The last couple of weeks we've looked at verse 27, and I want to begin there actually for the sake of context. We're looking at verses 28 through 20, uh, 28 through 30 this morning, but beginning in verse 27, follow along. you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Now remember, Paul's concern was for the spiritual growth of these believers at Philippi, and he wants them to go on living lives worthy of the gospel. You can hear it here. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. In other words, no matter what happens, and no matter what happened to him, and whether he was able to see them again or not, no matter what happens, he wanted them to keep on being good witnesses for Jesus Christ. He wanted them to stand faithful, remain firm in their faith, living as model heavenly citizens here on earth as we talked about last week. So here's the first word of challenge from Paul to believers to be prepared to suffer for the cause of Christ with joy. And you might think that that sounds unusual. Suffer for the cause of Christ with joy. If your perspective is right, if you have an eternal view in mind as you face this life here on earth, if you realize you are a heavenly citizen living here on earth as witnesses for Christ, you can face persecution with joy, knowing that God is in control, knowing that you are in God's hands. So let's note here the first word of challenge from Paul to believers to be prepared to suffer for the cause of Christ with joy. He says... And you know, I put his words this way: Do not be alarmed by your adversaries. Do not be alarmed by your adversaries. There's number one, look at verse twenty eight again where Paul instructs the Philippian believers that they should not be frightened in in anything by their opponents. They should not be frightened in anything by their opponent opponents commenting about that word frightened. Don't be frightened in anything by your opponents, says Paul. Commenting about that word "frightened," John Macarthur notes the following: It did not necessarily mean abject fright, as the King James Version rendered "terrified" would suggest, but it did refer to serious, fearful concern. It was used of a of a startled horse who bolted often because of something perfectly harmless and threw his rider. Christians in Paul's day, including those in Philippi, often had. Good human reasons to be terrified of the, of possible uh, beatings, imprisonment, and even execution by opponents of the gospel. Others faced somewhat less serious opponents: family members, friends, and neighbors who ridiculed and disowned them. So, believers in Christ, as Paul says, need not be alarmed. Don't be frightened. Don't be fearful. Don't be frightened in anything by your opponents. Don't be afraid of those who oppose you because of your faith in Christ. Now, it is important that you remember this. It's important that I remember this because if we don't and we become fearful, fear can paralyze us. Fear renders one ineffective very often, and if you fear those who oppose you for your faith in Christ, you may soon fail to take a stand for Christ when you must, when you should when God desires for you to stand firm and and be vocal about your faith in the face of opposition, if you fear your opponent, you may just clam up. Sadly, we see this, I think, throughout the American church today. If you pay attention to what's going on in the world around you, you'll realize that a lot of churches are departing from the once-believed truth of God's word. If you fear your opponents, it's easy to justify watering down the word of God and changing what it says to mean something else, to mean something God didn't intend for it to mean. If you fear your opponents, you're going to easily compromise your obedience to God's word so that you can fit in with those around you. If you fear the enemies of the cross of Christ, you're going to remain silent instead of sharing the good news, the life-saving, life-changing good news of Christ you'll keep to yourself because you're opposed We don't need to be alarmed by our adversaries, as Romans 8.31 reminds us, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? The answer is no one. There is great comfort in knowing that the God of the universe is in control. Amen? Isn't there great encouragement in knowing that the God who created you and created everything is still in control? will remain in control. The God that created the earth is also powerful enough to give us the strength or the protection to handle any adversity. God remains in control. It's very encouraging to be reminded, as with our memory verse for the month of November. You can see it on the front of your program. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all, not some things, all. So believers, we me encourage you and challenge you this morning, believers, don't be alarmed by those who may oppose you for your faith in Christ, but take comfort in knowing that the outcome is in God's more than capable hands. Which brings us to the second word of challenge to believers, to be prepared to suffer for the cause of Christ with joy. The outcome is in God's hands. Notice the second half of verse 28, where Paul says, This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. You see, believers need to understand that those who oppose God and who have rejected Jesus Christ are headed for destruction. They are under God's judgment. But sometimes we forget that. We forget that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. We are are reminded here that, that God is the ultimate judge. Sometimes we mistakenly think that those who oppose God and reject him are just getting away with something. They are not. God is not blinded from their foolish rejection of him and and rebellion against him, God's word makes clear that, that though the wicked seem to prosper on this earth, their ultimate end is destruction, says Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Eternal separation from God, torment in hell. And so Matthew 10.28 tells believers not to fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. There is eternal destruction ahead for the wicked. God's judgment on them is certain. Now, lest you hear me saying something I'm not, let me make it very clear. That is not something that we should rejoice over. Your enemy is not flesh and blood. You have a spiritual enemy. You look at the world, do not see your enemy. The the human beings that you interact with this week, they are not your enemies. But the truth of the Scriptures is, is this, that they face a certain judgment if they don't repent of their sins and believe in Jesus Christ. We have no need to fear them if they oppose us because God is in control and God will hold them accountable. This is not something we rejoice over, but that should compel us to be better witnesses for Christ this week. Should it not? Should it not sober us that our neighbors, maybe our own family members, need Christ and face an uncertain eternity because they haven't trusted Jesus Christ? It's not uncertain to God. God knows about their eternity. It's uncertain to them who who rush headlong into eternity while rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ. And in contrast to the destruction of the wicked, we see the salvation of the righteous. That is, those who have trusted Jesus Christ are saved eternally. We have no reason to fear. That should encourage us and give us the Lord's joy, even when we face persecution, because we know that persecution assures us that we are God's children. We belong to Christ. And ultimately the outcome is in God's hands. He has defeated the enemy and his church will prevail. And we don't need to fear our opponents because Almighty God has determined the outcome already. And so that last phrase in Philippians one twenty eight, and that from God, it's a reminder to us that God is in control. And those who ultimately reject Christ will face his judgment. But in, t- in, in the meantime, he's being patient And there is still time for those who who say, I don't want that. I don't need Christ. I don't need that gospel that you tell me about. There's time. God is being patient. I'm not saying take your time. Witness for Christ. Live lives that speak powerfully of the love of Christ to change filthy, rotten sinners like you and me into the image of Christ as we obey him. And those who ultimately reject Christ, though, will face his judgment, and those who accept Jesus Christ will be wonderfully saved. Yes, we may face difficulty here on this fallen earth, but we can look forward to a blessed eternity with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So don't be alarmed by your adversaries, but be encouraged that the outcome is in God's hands. And then understand this. Here's number three. Suffering is a gift. Now, hold on a second. <laughs> Just a moment before you call me crazy. Suffering is a gift. Look at verse 29. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Do you know the word granted there in verse 29? As one commentator points out, suffering for Christ was not to be considered accidental or divine punishment. Paul referred to a kind of suffering that was really a sign of God's favor. The Greek word translated granted is derived from a word which means grace or favor. Believing on Christ and suffering for Christ are both associated with God's grace. Johnny Erickson Tata, who was paralyzed in a diving accident as a teen, we saw her speak of heaven last Sunday evening in one of the, in the video that we watched, one of the individuals who spoke of heaven. She was paralyzed in a diving accident as a teen. She kind of helps give us some perspective as she writes, when life is rosy, we may slide by with knowing about Jesus, with imitating him and quoting him and speaking of him, but only in the fellowship of suffering will we know Jesus. We identify with him at the point of his deepest humiliation. The cross, symbol of his greatest suffering, becomes our personal touchpoint with the Lord of the universe. And she's right. So suffering for the sake of Christ is a privilege, and I understand that we don't seek it out. No one seeks out suffering but we ought not think of suffering for the cause of Christ as something that's an accident, or as God's punishment on us. We ought to be thankful that we can identify with Christ in His suffering. It is a gift. But that is so foreign to our way of thinking, isn't it? But listen to First Peter four verses twelve through fourteen, beloved, do not be surprised You realize that when you're insulted for Christ, yes, you may feel insulted, but they are insulting your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and you are sharing in his sufferings. You are blessed, and God is glorified when you suffer reproach for the name of Christ with the Lord's joy. But note also that, number four, suffering is shared. You are not alone. See in verse 30 how Paul encourages the Philippian believers with these words. Look at verse 30 again. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Believers in Christ do not suffer alone. Suffering for Christ is shared with other brothers and sisters in Christ. The Philippian believers had seen the persecution that Paul had experienced for the cause of Christ, for his faith in Christ for his willingness to stand firm and preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They had seen him suffer. They knew what he was going through even then, but they not only prayed for him, they suffered with him. Paul was not alone. He knew that. These Philippian believers would not be alone when they faced suffering for the cause of Christ. So remember that when you suffer for the sake of Christ, even though you may feel like you are alone, But there are also other believers around this world who are suffering for the cause of Christ, just as there have been many others throughout the ages who have suffered for Christ. And when we know this, there ought to be no need for a self-pity party. You are not alone. Not only do you have the Holy Spirit, which ought to be enough, don't you think, (laughs) but we but we know we are not alone in our suffering. Our brothers and sisters in Christ stand firm in the faith, and and when they do, they they face persecution also. We are not alone. There's no room for self-sorrow, self-sadness, and self-pity here. And so suffering is not a popular topic, and we do not readily embrace it. Yet if we live for Christ, we need to be prepared to suffer for the cause of Christ and to do so with His joy. And that shouldn't discourage you. I don't tell you this so that you'll leave here head down discouraged. I I tell you this so that you'll leave here refreshed and encouraged, strengthened for another week in this world where there are many who oppose Christ, who will oppose you because you stand for Christ. So it shouldn't discourage you if you remember not to be alarmed by those who oppose. Remember that the outcome is in God's hands and that suffering is a gift and that it is shared. Suffering is also shared suffering with Christ, who suffered and died for our sins, which we'll be reminded of now as we prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper. Would you bow your heads with me? Our precious Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you for sending Jesus Christ to suffer for our sins, not his own, ours. And then we thank you for the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in all who believe in Jesus Christ, taking great hope and encouragement in his finished work on the cross. We praise you that all who put their faith in Christ are eternally saved and have no need to fear man. What can they do to to us? So I praise you and I thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you that we have no need to to fear those who oppose us. And, Lord, help us to see that when we stand firm in our faith, that God is in control. God has not lost control. God is not worrying about the outcome. He, He has it under control. He knows what's going to happen. He has planned it, and He is working. And we know that our lives are in God's hands. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you that our lives are in your hands. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to see our suffering as as a gift, an opportunity to identify with Christ, to know know Christ more fully and deeply, and as an affirmation of our faith in Christ. And Lord, help us to remember that we are not alone. Help us to look to to encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ who face hardship and difficulty and opposition for their faith in Christ. And when we face opposition, help us to not lose heart Help us to not focus on ourselves. Lord, help us to focus on Christ, that Christ might be clearly known in our obedience and our faithfulness, demonstrated in our lives as we walk in obedience to your word. And this we will praise you. As we come to this time of communion together, Lord, help us to remember Jesus Christ, to never forget him, never to forget what he has accomplished for us on the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.